As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Learning how to be resilient. What does it mean? Doing things that terrified me, that were outside of my comfort zone. Finding that intestinal fortitude to overcome challenges. I mean, if I didn't do these things, I wasn't going to graduate. What was my line? Do I say this is okay, podcast? Try this again. Hi, I'm Sheetal. And I'm Farheen. Every other week, we host a Smiley's with unique stories to tell. Welcome to Podvocative. Welcome to our first podcast episode of the year. We are pumped to continue doing this. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. We are thrilled that we are in a new year, that 2020 is behind us, and we're so excited to bring you new content in 21, starting with today's amazing episode with an incredible guest who is resilient in so many different ways. She's phenomenal. I have learned so much from her. She's amazing. She's also the first smiley female West Point graduate, so we thought that it would be so much fun to do a little trivia just to kind of get some background on West Point. So let me begin by asking you, Farheen, how many West Point graduates are there to date? Um, I just have no clue. So I'm going to venture a super wild guess. 200,000. Because <laughs> West Point's super old, right? Yes. I don't know. I'm going to go with 200K. It's probably off. Okay, nice. That's a good guess. We had West Point before the Civil War, so I'm going to guess it began in 1800. But So let's say 1800, 1900, 2000. So it's been around for like 220 years. And I'll say maybe there's like 20 graduates a year, though that's probably off. 100 a year. <laughs> Okay, times 220. So that's, that's like 220 000. times. No, that's 100. like 22,000. Okay, so I'm going to say 22,000. That's so low. Okay, we're so off from each other. Okay, what's the answer? Well, I found that about 1,000 cadets graduate every year. So that would yeah, be that's what I found too. pretty close. Oh, it was founded in 1802. 
And a thousand graduates every year. So Has it always been a thousand though? What if in the 1800s it was like 10 people? Okay, well maybe this is just a question mark. Well, maybe we'll never know the answer. If one of our listeners knows or finds us info, let us know. So I have a question for you, also West Point related. And this was uh, something I wanted to know more about. So what do you think are some of the components of the physical fitness test that is an admissions requirement to attend West Point? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, So I would say... You want me to just start naming exercises or like? Yeah, I would say like think of like five exercises that you think are part of the West Point Academy as admissions test. Well, I would say push-ups for sure, mm-hmm. pull-ups, plank, probably like suicides because I think they do a lot of like speed work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then squat press. Oh, nice. Okay, that's press. a good list. That's a good list. I would agree with you on most of that. I think running for sure maybe just like running long distances even and then definitely push up pull up I would and then probably something heavyweight (laughs) I can let you know the answer this I never would have guessed but one piece of the candidate fitness assessment called the CFA you have to do a basketball throw from a kneeling position whoa i don't know why crazy yeah so you have to kneel down and then throw a basketball i don't know like what the like (laughs) metric for success is there um i mean probably getting it in the hoop (laughs) oh is that what it is i literally just thought they were like throwing a basketball like i would assume like you have to make it right do you think it's from like a line i don't know like where they throw it from i wish we knew this before so we could have asked noor how hers i know (laughs) Another one is pull-ups, or for women, they can do a flexed arm hang. So we're right mm-hmm. for that. Another one is a 40-yard shuttle run, which they time. Okay. Another one is they measure how many crunches you can do in two minutes. Ooh, crunches is a good one, yeah. Two straight minutes of crunches. Another one is how many push-ups they can do in two straight minutes, which I could never do two straight minutes of push-ups. I would have, like four maybe yeah same I could literally do like 10 seconds and then I would collapse (laughs) and then a one mile run which they time okay so those are the pieces sweet (laughs) I know I was gonna say go Noor um I mean that's just incredible in addition to it being like I think super like academically challenging to get into West Point you also have to be super strong so Props to Noor. We are so, so, so lucky that she joined us for an amazing conversation. Yeah, this is an incredible conversation. She talks to us about all the adversity she's faced inside West Point, but then also outside West Point, personally, some of the challenges she's had. And she just handles everything with such grace. There are so many pieces to Noor's story. I mean, her being a West Point grad is just such a small piece of it. She's also a mother. She talks about how that impacted her identity. She's been through divorce. She's been through, uh, unfortunately, sexual abuse and assault. So she and she served abroad in the military. So she touches on that experience. She was pregnant with her child. Um, 
before she was married. So she talks about that experience and just culturally what that meant for her and, and her identity. So, I mean, she is so resilient and so strong in every sense of the word. And we just can't wait to bring her story to our platform. So thank you to Noor for sharing this with us and all of our listeners. You are amazing and so resilient. We'll see you all on the other side. Hello, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk to you today. To start out, could you please tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then what's a funny question for you? Your favorite candy? I have kind of two professions. I am the old, the first female Ismaili to attend um, the military academy, which I'm very proud of. I am a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, as well as an attorney. I just had a son in July, so I am currently uh, staying at home to take care of my baby for a year. And my favorite candy, I would have to say, is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. So just to dive right in, you went to West Point. Can you briefly talk about what your experiences was like and why you chose to go there? So it's a kind of a long story, but I thought I wanted to be a doctor and I had applied um, to this particular program that I didn't get into. And so I sort of like kind of ended up at West Point as sort of like a, I'm just going to do something completely different and unpredictable. It was, you know, I, I wish I could say that I'd always wanted to be like GI Jane or something like that, but I didn't. And so it was a chance accident that I happened to go there, but it's kind of like the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, West Point was, was very challenging. So for example, before our yearling year, which is the sophomore year at West Point, it's called Camp Buckner, which they lovingly refer to it as Camp Bucknam. Um, and so as a graduation requirement, there's a water obstacle course that every cadet has to do. So the first thing you have to do, it's called the slide for life. So the slide for life requires you to climb a 53 foot tower and then you basically have to request permission to ride down a steel cable on a trolley for 150 feet. And then as you're approaching the landing area, someone waves red flags and you have to assume the landing position with your feet up. And then once they put down the flags, you drop into the water. So not only did I have to climb up this huge tower and I'm terrified of heights, but also like I'm riding down this cable water's underneath me. I'm scared. Like, what if I let go at the wrong time? What if I hurt myself? Like it was, it was absolutely stressful and traumatic for me. And that was, that was part one. And one of the things I love about West Point is I just learned so much about myself. And I know that this season you're talking about resiliency. And I think that that's like where it all started for me is like building that resiliency, learning how to be resilient. What does it mean? Doing things that terrified me that were outside of my comfort zone, finding that intestinal fortitude to overcome challenges. I mean, if I didn't do these things, I wasn't going to graduate. So I, you know, so I kind of ended up there on accident, but it's really the best thing that I could have done for myself because I had so many cool opportunities. I think my junior year, the summer, um, I had the opportunity to go to Crossroads Africa for 10 weeks. And I would just like to take this opportunity to encourage other Ismaili females and males, of course, to attend the academy to apply. It's amazing. The things that you do, 
who your classmates are. I mean, they're going to be maybe generals one day or possibly a president. Um, you know, so many amazing, successful people have come out of West Point and they help shape our nation. I would love to see more Smileys get to participate and have this experience if they're interested. So again, thank you so much for allowing to for me to be here and to share my story because I just want people to know that this is an opportunity if they don't know about it. It's one wonderful. It's exciting. Of course. Thank you for being here. You're the rock star and we are just so lucky to have you here. And you said, you know, you're the first Ismaili Muslim to go to West Point, which is incredible. Why do you think that that barrier hasn't been broken yet? What do you think is the hesitation, mental restriction that people face in our community? In the South Asian culture, our parents like just maybe just didn't know a lot about it. We weren't provided the encouragement the opportunity. Sometimes people just don't know about it. I, I didn't know what West Point was. Honestly, I had no idea until when I was in high school, one of my friends was like, hey, I'm going to this academic invitational workshop. And he was talking about West Point. And that's how I first learned about it. And then also, I think in our culture too, it's it, it, people joke about it, right? But, but they want us to be like doctors or lawyers or scientists or business owners. And so there's certain professions that we are encouraged to kind of go to towards and, and achieve. And so the military is something that's, it's a little bit of an unknown. People don't know what's required of it. The idea of sending your son or daughter off to an academy where ultimately they're going to be an officer and they may have to deploy and they may have to do some really challenging things. That's just something that parents might not be comfortable with, like encouraging their children. So I think it's it's just about getting the word out, knowing that there's other Ismailis doing these things and, and to see that there are other Ismailis out there that are officers or academy grads, whatever it is. So um, that might encourage them to learn more or to pursue these opportunities. You know, you bring up a good point that there aren't, you know, a lot of Muslims necessarily, and even a lot of women, I'm assuming, um, at West Point. So while you were there, did you face discrimination on, you know, either of those fronts or, or did you even deal with imposter syndrome? Yes, I did. I entered in 2000 and I graduated in 2004. So in 2001, I was there when 9-11 happened. And I think one of the benefits of going to like a premier leadership institution where people are educated and they understand, you know, I didn't face any discrimination for being a Muslim. And in fact, I would say that the biggest challenge of being at West Point was the fact that I was a female and it's a male dominated world. So to be a female in a male dominated world was very difficult. If you weren't as physically fit as the men, you got a lot of crap for that. I was a good runner. I could do push-ups. I could do all that stuff, but I couldn't do as many push-ups as the guys. I couldn't run as fast as some of my classmates. Um, so that, you know, put me and other of my female classmates at a disadvantage. But however, when the academic year rolled around, you know, that's kind of where we made up for what we lacked physically. We were just academically stronger than some of our male classmates. And they like, asked us for help. And I, I tutored some of my classmates. And that's kind of where I gained back some of that respect. And it was a little bit easier. But I would say that being a Muslim had nothing to do your religion had nothing to do with it. For me, it was a what being a woman in a male dominated world. So how did you in those difficult times that were physically challenging? How did you overcome them and keep pushing through even though 
maybe you couldn't do as many push-ups. What kept you going? For me, it was a visualization technique, you know, that I used. If I could see myself doing it, visualizing success, that's how you achieve it. And a lot of it too was, you know, relying on on support of my my roommate, you know, who is another female dealing with the same stuff that I was dealing with. I started building different techniques like for stress management, for for how to cope in those difficult situations. Um, I just sort of have my own little toolkit that I've built up over time, over the different experiences that I've had. It's kind of like if you're like whitewater rafting or something, you know that there's going to be some rough waters. And in life, like, you know, you're going to go through some stuff. You you sort of like build that kit and you're sort of like, okay, like, I know how I'm going to navigate these waters. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but you kind of find a way to manage to survive um, and, and to come out stronger on the other side. So kind of moving forward, after you graduated, you had to serve. So can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, was it a lot of the same experiences, kind of confronting really challenging problems and learning how to overcome them? Or was it different for you after graduating? There were definitely challenges. Uh, When I got to my first unit, I was a platoon leader. That was my first assignment. And I was sitting in my battalion commander's office and he was sort of like, congratulations, here's your platoon. You have a year to train them up and you're taking them to combat. I was like, oh. Okay. And I was all but 21 years old. So it was a huge responsibility. And I was just kind of like sitting there like, oh my gosh, I have, you know, I'm basically in charge of like 25 people's lives. And then on top of that, I I touched on the the female issue. So as a female officer, I was assigned to a field artillery battalion. Um, I I had a distribution distribution platoon. So essentially our mission in combat is we do um, logistical resupply points. And so we are responsible for the ammunition, for food, for water, for fuel, whatever the uh, field artillery guys need. We were there to support them so they could do their mission. I was the only female officer in that battalion. So we, I trained with the field artillery battalion with my platoon. We deployed um, in 2006 to Afghanistan. When we got there, we found out that due to the terrain, the battalion itself was going to be dispersed throughout the region. So we were not going to be able to do our mission. So my soldiers were looking at doing pulling guard duty and securing the forward operating base like 24-7, which is a really boring job um, when they were planning on going out and doing convoys and seeing the country and supporting. And so long story short, while I was there, one of the challenges, um, because I was only a lieutenant, I was working with a captain in the field artillery battalion. I was only 21, but I experienced, I was sexually harassed and at one point sexually assaulted when I was overseas. So not only was I so far away from home, but I was in a combat zone and, um, deal, you know, like I'm the only female. And so I'm, I'm dealing with this. Um, and there was just so much going on. And I feel like that was the most challenging thing that I've ever dealt with. I really haven't talked about it a lot. It was, you know, it was really hard for me. I just, but I, I do have a lot of self-respect. So I filed a complaint against them. And after, you know, there was a whole investigation that went down, they didn't move me. I was there 
the battalion XO issued an order to everyone in the battalion not to talk to me. I, I was, you know, it was clear retaliation for me coming forward. I was fighting against a good old boys club. That was the most challenging thing that I faced in my career and my life. I really didn't have anybody there. So I turned to my faith. I worked out a lot. I used running. I'm a runner. And that's that's one of my outlets when I'm like stressed out, when I'm frustrated, when I'm sad, when I'm stressed. And, you know, feel anxious, whatever it is, it's it's religion and for me running. And then, you know, the positive of, of the story is that a lot of women, there, there were some soldiers, young enlisted soldiers that were on that, that forward operating base because you had the support people and you had the field artillery. So come to find out a lot of them were being pressured and, and they were in awful situations, way worse than mine was. And word got out what I did, that I came forward, I filed a complaint, all of this stuff. And these soldiers looked at me as their role model. A lot of these women started coming forward and things started to get better for them. But, you know, they were shocked that A, this could happen to an officer and B, the fact that I came forward gave them the courage and, and the motivation, the inspiration to come forward as well. So it, it's something that, you know, is very personal to me. And especially like in light of all this, like the Me Too movement, it just, it happens. You think you think it won't happen to you. Um, and, and I think for us, like in our culture and stuff, it's, it's just these things aren't talked about as well as like a lot of times like you're just not put in the situations maybe where, where it, it happens. So it's hard to imagine that, that this could actually happen in this day and age, you know, it's, it's not like, it's like the fifties or the sixties or, you know, it, it, it's the two thousands. I was very, you know, disappointed that it happened to me, but um, it was, it was definitely challenging and I overcame it and I, you know, and I kind of moved on and I, I continued to to serve in leadership positions. And, and to this day, you know, I'm still part of the United States Army. And it's been 16 and a half years that, I, that I've been in the Army. So that's the only time that's ever happened to me. I don't know if people just go crazy when they're deployed. Stateside, I have never had a problem. First of all, thank you so much for having the courage to share that. I know that's not an easy thing. And I could see that you were getting emotional. So thank you so much. Um, and I'm so, so sorry that happened to you. I'm glad at least that there was a silver lining and that, you know, you inspired other people to come forward and kind of demand that respect. I know you kind of shared your experience and how you got through it. What, what advice would you give someone who maybe has faced a similar experience and maybe they are overcome with the shame and the guilt and maybe they're blaming it on themselves or they think it's their fault. Like, what would you say to someone in that situation? Yeah, it. I mean, it's 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 normal. It's those feelings of like shame and guilt. It's okay. It's not your fault. And like to feel that way is okay. But you also have to keep in mind that it's not right. And you have to have that self love and that self respect by coming forward. It's you're helping. You're helping other people. You're you're gonna help stop it because bringing awareness that that something like that is happening. And it, it takes a huge act of courage. And I would also advise people to go talk to somebody, you know, see mental health counselor, you I mean, you have to talk to somebody, whether it's you know, you have people that you trust your family, or you want to go see a specialist. And I would also encourage people to find healthy outlets. Like I said, I think talking is really important. Um, for me, it was faith and it was working out. So just finding something that kind of helps you feel centered, um, that makes you feel a little bit in control, I would say, if someone is doing that to you, like, 
you have to find the courage to stand up for yourself. You don't deserve to be treated like that. Absolutely not. Did you share this? I know you mentioned that you you filed a complaint, but did you share this with your family back home? Um, you know, obviously you were really far away from them. Is this something that you were able to talk about with them? Yes. Yeah. No, I did. I did tell my I did tell my parents. Um, and I I was I'm super close with my sister. She's just five years younger than me, but she's my best friend. And um, we were in close contact. Um, you know, emailing um, back and forth. I mean, it was hard, and it took me a while because I was in a combat zone. And I also know that that my family was like very like stressed out and worried about me just being there. And I have to say, I think I put on um, at least with my parents a brave front. Like I. I made it seem like I was like handling it and everything is okay. And as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But, you know, inside, like, I'm not going to lie, like, I was falling apart. It was horrible to, like, the people that I, I thought were my friends. Like, no one would talk to me. Like, it was it was really really rough going. And I think also I would like to mention that if this had happened to me stateside, I think I would have had more support, like having that support from your family and friends or, you know, being able to see a mental health counselor. It's just so important to be able to like talk out those feelings and find healthy ways of managing the stress and anxiety. Are those kinds of mental health resources and therapists provided to people that are stationed abroad? I'm not too sure in a deployed environment. They may have one or two people at at the hospital. They have like a they have a cache, they have like a combat hospital set up, but but I'm not sure. And there's also some when you're deployed, there's like different bases, right? So some of them are way more remote. So you don't have a lot of a lot of that access. But I'm sure like had I requested to talk to somebody they would have, you know, sent me to Bagram or something like that to, to make that happen. So I think if you want it, they'll make it happen. And also, I would just like to note that in today's day and age, like today's army, that service, if somebody was going through that, I'm sure they would ask you, um, it would absolutely be be available. Um, and then I know you said your faith 
you have really relied on your faith during this time. What did that mean to you, I guess? And how are you practicing? Because I know you were at a fairly remote location. And so like, what did, how did faith play into your life at that point? I would say my dua, I would say, you know, like say Tasbis or Nandali or, you know, just, I would just turn to prayer. You know, it was almost, I guess I can also say like, maybe like meditation, not Bandagi, but like meditating. I would just find solitude. I would find strength relearning the meaning of dua like I kind of knew the meaning of dua but not like super well so and I would just do things like that and for me like like that was helpful and that you know was a positive distraction um and and I felt I didn't feel as alone when I turned to my faith yeah absolutely so moving forward once you came back you obviously then later got married etc so how did that happen you know how did you know it was time how did you feel ready to get married especially you know being a survivor of sexual harassment and assault was that ever something that you struggled with you know going back into a relationship yeah um no that's a great question you know thankfully i it didn't really affect my ability to to engage in a relationship or or like when it came to my love life i i guess i was able to compartmentalize that and luckily like it wasn't i i guess what i went through it happened but i shut it down so fast so it wasn't like over a long period of time it wasn't like months and months of dealing with it so and and I didn't actually get married until I was 31. So my first husband, he was a smiley and um, he was an attorney like myself. And um, we just, we just hit it off. Like we had a really good time. I mean, he was just very attractive. I had the butterflies. We had that, that instant connection within four months, you know, he asked my parents for my hand and we were engaged looking back, I would advise people to to slow things down a little bit. We were engaged after four months and married. We, we did a, a court marriage in October of that year. So it, it went really fast. And I just didn't really know him as well as I thought, like people can hide things from you. And so we just were not compatible. And we thought we were initially and it was, you know, it was like the, the very the, the in love phase. So I so what I thought was right for me. I think I rushed into it. I was only married for a year. That's something that, you know, I really struggled with getting a divorce. Looking back now, you know, it was like the best thing for me. What I really struggled with was, you know, in our culture, it's what are people going to think? the the stigma associated with divorce, you know, like something is wrong with you or just all of the the negativity. It was really hard to tell my parents, you know, and I and thankfully my parents were very supportive. My sister, like I, I had family support. And also at the same time, I was working at a law firm. And I think a month after we separated and we were like we were going through the whole divorce process, I got laid off. And so it's just like, you know, absolute despair, right? Like dealing with all of that. Now I don't have a job. Like, you know, it it was, it was pretty bad. And I would say like, again, my tools, my toolkit, how I deal with things, how I come out stronger is faith. But this time, you know, I reached out, I went to a therapist because my life was just falling apart. I was diagnosed as situationally depressed. Having a therapist, having that support was crucial. Um, And again, you know, like I ran all the time. I would like run and cry and just like run for miles and miles and like ugly cry while I was running. And then like when I got done and when I came back home, like I just, I had nothing left. So, you know, between like 
relying on on my sister and my close friends, my mental health counselor, my faith and running a lot is kind of what helped me. Wow. Yeah, I feel like you are the face of resilience, like life has thrown so many lemons at you. And I feel like you've made lemonade each time and just kept coming out stronger. It's so incredible and inspiring to hear. So I know that time period of, you know, deciding that the situation you're in is no longer right for you. And I know you said that the stigma was there and like you just... Mm -hmm didn't know how to tell your family. How did you decide that? Was there a certain point? Was it one point? Was it a buildup? And what gave you the courage to, you know, like tell your family and follow through with it? Yeah, kind of as we started to spend more time together, things started to unravel, things started to get bad. And one day there was just, you know, we had started going to marriage counseling, you know, like we both wanted to make it work because like the whole culture thing, but there were red flags. I just didn't see them for what they were. But there was an incident where I felt my life was threatened. I was felt physically, I was going to be physically harmed. I, I was kind of physically harmed. Um, and I thought it was going to get worse. So there was just that one incident. And for me, that was enough. And you know, as I've kind of described my journey in life, I just I have a lot of self love and self respect. And I just I was not going to put myself in a situation where things could get worse. And that you know, I would be a victim. And I just I couldn't do it. And so that happened, I called my sister, I left immediately, I didn't look back, it was over, it was done. And, and it, you know, and I, and I feel lucky, and I feel grateful. I don't know how I found the strength. I don't know how I just said, absolutely not. Like, sometimes looking back, like, I don't, it, it's kind of a blur. But I'm so grateful to that self for having the courage to say no, and to leave and to walk away. Because, you know, in that moment, nothing mattered, nothing mattered except my safety. But I will say after that day, I, I had a lot of doubt. And again, it was not because I wanted to put myself in the situation, but kind of again, with our society, with our culture, the cultural norms, like divorce is not okay. What is everyone going to think like the shame, the guilt, like, all of those feelings is what I struggled with. And like I said, you know, I didn't get married when I was young, like I waited, and I thought it was right. I, I thought that, you know, like, okay, I've waited this long, because I'm not settling. And so to then be 31 years old, 32 years old, and have to start all over again, that was part of the despair. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, because I know that that wasn't easy. And it's so important to share these stories. So just wanted to get that out there that your bravery is so inspiring. So you now have two kids and things are a lot better. Um, so can you talk about like, when did you start family planning? You know, how did you know that motherhood was right for you? Was it something that you always you mentioned that you knew you wanted it? But was it something that you just always knew was going to happen? Was it something that you had to really think about? What was your sort of path to becoming a mother after you got out of this divorce? So yeah, so I, I didn't meet my husband until almost like two and a half years later after all this happened. So it was it was a little bit of time. But he's, he's also four years younger than me. <laughs> and so for me, one of the considerations I've always I've always wanted to have children, I've actually wanted to have two children. When we met, and we we started dating and, and part of like our, our conversation was like, you know, talking about like, what we want out of life and like in the future and marriage and family and all this stuff. So both of us wanted children. And so because I was like, getting older, I think I was about I was about to turn 35. And so you know, I was like, Oh, I don't I don't know. And we, we both said we wanted children. So I was like, Okay, well, like, 
let, let, you know, I'll, I'll go to the fertility clinic and, you know, he did his stuff and I was like, I'll do mine and, and kind of figure out like what's going on with that. And we, I mean, we both knew we wanted to. So we were like, yeah, why not? We'll just start trying whatever. And I was like, I don't, I'll figure out if I have issues, you know? So we went, we went to Italy for my birthday. He took me to Italy and we came back and I was, I was going to my fertility appointment and I had actually, I had missed my period. And I, I just told him, I was like, Hey, can I just take a pregnancy test? You know, I was like, I, I was like, I'm sure it's like the flight and like just the stress of travel and everything but I was like since I'm here whatever so I, I they gave me a pregnancy test and my sister came with me originally my Justin who at that time was was just my boyfriend was supposed to come with me and um and so yeah so they walked out and the lady was like congratulations you're pregnant and I was like what so I mean, I guess we were trying, but not really. And, and I, I never made it to my appointment because it was at the fertility appointment that I found out I was actually pregnant. So, you know, it just sort of like, it just kind of happens. Like we both knew we wanted it. And I don't know, it was, it was kind of a miracle. Like I, it, it happened without really trying very hard. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's yeah. incredible. What a story. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So you mentioned that you guys were kind of sort of not really trying at that point. And then you found out you were pregnant. You weren't married. You weren't engaged. What was going through your head? Were you at all concerned with stigma? Did it ever feel like, oh, how am I going to tell my family? Like, was that ever something that came to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so... I knew we were going to get married. Like, like I, you know, we had gone ring shopping. I knew he had my ring. It was just a matter of time before we was going to pop the question. Like we had like talked about it. Like I knew all of that, but that being said, you know, like someone from the outside looking in that doesn't know all that. It's like, Oh my gosh, what? She's a smiley. She's not married. She's knocked up like, Holy crap. Yeah. It, it was, I was so excited, but then my, my next thought was like, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> How is, you know, like, like how am I going to tell my parents? How is this going to look? It's, you know, so actually it's, so we told him at Thanksgiving, you know, and I, and we were like, we always like sit at the family table and talk about what we're grateful for, you know? And, and so I think I, I said that I was grateful that I was going to have a diamond Jubilee baby or something like that. <laughs> I was like grateful. Like, and I, and I was, you know, like, I was like excited and I've always wanted to have children. I think my dad was a little, I was surprised. I think he was, he took it a little bit better than my mom did, but my mom was later on, everything became legit because we got married. And like, you know, when my daughter was born, you know, she had a mom and dad, we were married, everything was like kosher and it was great, but it was, it was interesting. And it was definitely challenging for me to, to tell my parents and to kind of deal with that. And I, and I understand because that's just kind of how our culture is, but that being said growing up in America by being part of the American culture like I just you know my life just really hasn't like panned out the way I wanted it to you know like like I'm gonna have my first baby by the time I'm 30 or like before you know like I kind of had my life planned out and you know nothing ever goes according to plan so so it it was it was challenging it was uncomfortable but you know we got through it (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So I feel like the transition to motherhood, you know, is such a different experience. So up till now, you were so strong, fearless, like you were 
taking on whatever came at you and then now you have these two little humans who like basically become your whole life and you have to take care of them and that kind of like becomes your identity and like you know you're you're kind of a family unit now how did that transition from going to an individual person who had this like amazing career and etc to now you know like being a mother and now you're known as a mother how how did that feel for you you know I, I love I love being a mother and my children bring me such joy that my career has never brought me but that being said I also miss that aspect of you know I mean I I in a couple of weeks will be 39 and being being a, pro- a working professional like that has been my life for so long. So being a mother, it's definitely different. And that's something that I struggle with. I struggle with, I'm so happy being a mother, but then I also part of me like feels like a failure because it's like, okay, well, currently, as I mentioned, you know, um, I'm, I'm taking a sabbatical for a year to be at home with my son. And while I'm, I'm so excited and and I love spending this time with him because he's never going to be this small again. Um, it's also hard, you know, like, I feel like I'm, I'm getting behind career wise. Like, you know, this is a year where like, where other people are working and like enhancing their career and I'm not. And it's just, it's, it's just hard. It's not that I don't love being with him. It's just, it's, I just struggle because climbing that ladder and caring so much and, and like having my, the focus of my life be like professional successes and professional wins. It's, it's just an adjustment to go from that to really kind of shifting my focus to putting my family first, you know, and, and I did after I had my daughter, like I did suffer a little bit of the baby blues. Postpartum depression is a real thing. It's challenging. And I'm still like, I'm still grappling with it. But you know, something that's also helped me is is practicing gratitude. I'm so grateful that I have two healthy children that are wonderful. My second pregnancy, I actually had a miscarriage before I had my son. So that was really hard. That was really traumatic. And, um, and I, I have some friends that, you know, like they actually gave birth and then lost their children. You know, one of my close friends had twins and and they lived for, I think about seven hours and they lost them. So, you know, when, when I struggle with these things, sometimes I try to like gain perspective and I try to practice gratitude. So much stuff has changed. So much about me is different. And, and it's, it's wonderful. Like my body, like made two beautiful children, like my body has done amazing things, but I'm just not the same person. And I have, you know, and I struggle and that's okay. And, and this is like, you know, you have to find a group of people that you can be vulnerable with and that understand what you're going through. And, and I think having that support and having your outlets and, and taking time to put yourself first too, you know, like that, that self-care, it's just, it's really, it's really important. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not planning on being a stay-at-home mom. Like when we move again, I'm, as I said, you know, last year I got promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. So since my husband is an active duty army officer, our next base that we go to, I'm probably going to try to find a logistics position and, and get back to work. And part of it also, eventually I want to get back to work because I want to be that strong female role model for my children. I want them to see that mom is a great mom, but you know what? Like she has a job that, that makes her happy and like, you know, and she's successful. And I, and I want my daughter to see that, you know, like she can have it all. She can be successful. And, and I want, I want to be that strong role model for my children. 
We have been so lucky to have you here and to share all of this. I mean, it's just been absolutely incredible. I would love to hear, you know, we are obviously part of such a tight-knit community being a Smiley's and a really unique community in that I think a lot of other people don't get to experience. So how do you think we can better support women in similar situations or women who are survivors of assault or women who are going through divorces or not necessarily following the traditional path that we see a lot of like how can we be better support systems as a community to people whose paths don't look exactly like we sometimes expect yeah i i think our community in general could be you know change some of the stigmas be a little more empathetic like i i mentioned and and i know you guys have another one of your your guests um has talked about you know seeing a mental health professional you know like things like that like those things should be encouraged and and i just think awareness in general that like these things can happen you know like having those those tough conversations, that dialogue needs to be had. And it's okay to seek help if you need to outside of the faith, like that's okay. And and so I, I think that would be instrumental. And especially like, for a lot of us moms, like, there's always this, you know, like, okay, like, you're just a, your mom now, like, you just figure it out. Like, there's not a lot of support for mothers, I don't think. Um, and, and I think that is changing, definitely. But you know, if we look at our mothers, you know, they just sort of like the expectation to do it all and to not really complain or to talk about your problems or to make time for yourself. There's, there's just so many, so many things. So, you know, like encouraging moms, like self-care, you know, going to get your nails done, your hair done, or going for a walk, like, like doing things to help yourself, your well-being. you know, the, the small things, it doesn't have to be big things. You don't have to go talk to a, a mental health professional if you don't want to, you know, you could just make time for yourself. Like there's just, there's so many things, but I, I think that awareness and having a dialogue in our community can do so much. I, I think that that's how, that's how we're going to help each other and be more successful and be more understanding of everyone's unique path. Yeah. Cause everyone is going through something and may not be the exact same, but like you said, just being empathetic and talking about it and supporting each other. So yeah. important. So just before we wrap up, I wanted to give you the opportunity and the chance to just open the floor to you if you have anything else that maybe we didn't ask you but you would like to share no I, I feel like I, I shared so much of myself and and you know I thank you guys so much for allowing me to come here and to come on your show and to talk about all of this and I really hope that some of the things some of the experiences that I've had and kind of me talking about it it was tough but I did it and I hope that you know I can help somebody we we can kind of like start this like you guys having me on having this podcast like start that dialogue get that awareness out there. So I, I really appreciate having this platform to come and, and talk about my life, my struggles, my journey on becoming resilient. And, and just, you know, like I've had so many ups and downs in my life, like so much good stuff has happened to me, but with the good comes the bad. And you just need to like learn how to, to weather the bad because there's always going to be good. Thank you so much. This has been such an incredible conversation. We have one more piece of this. The next piece is a lot easier. We are going to do something called rapid fire. So we are going to ask you 12 questions. You'll have 90 seconds to answer them. All right, let's go. Let's do it. Dream travel destination. Maldives. <laughs> Favorite app on your phone. Feed baby. <laughs> talking or texting. Uh, talking. Favorite ice cream flavor. Ben and Jerry's American dream cone. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Probably something you said earlier. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. 
<laughs> what's a word you use too much? Um. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Slow drivers in the left lane. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Go to airport snack. Probably Cracker Jacks. Milk or cereal first? Cereal. What song is your anthem? We just ran out of time. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um, you did good, though. You got, got 10 out of 12. Um, so what song is your anthem was the next one. I'm a survivor. That's a good one. <laughs> um, and then your favorite childhood TV show. Shira. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for being here. I mean, this was an absolutely incredible conversation. Thank you, guys. And thanks for doing this. This is amazing. Welcome back. Hope you loved Noor's episode as much as we do. It's such a special one and hope you learned a lot from her. She is definitely someone that I learned a lot from and she's kind of an inspiration to me. Like she's just this incredible, strong and of course resilient lady and we are so, so, so thankful that she was here. And we hope you guys feel the same way because she was amazing. So with that, we are closing out our first episode of 2021. And for the next episode, we are going to talk about bullying and body acceptance and how that's different from body positivity and what that means for each of us individually. We hope to see all of you then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.